<laughs> Job presented his closing arguments, and he discussed how high, how lofty he had been, yeah. and and how low he has been laid. And and I love Laura's profession. She's like, okay, when I hear him describe what his life was actually like, she goes, I see how the there was a pool of righteousness that he that it it, it could contain all of this. It yeah. was really it was a lot more obvious. So, so Job, and you know, Job was very honest about how he was struggling. You know, he didn't brag in his struggling. Um, and he said, you know, I don't understand why it's happened. I just know all these ideas you have about God are not right because this is happening to me and I am blameless before him. And, and I can't explain it, but that is what it is. So... We talked about how Hasetan is the accuser, you know, in this court drama. Uh, well, Elihu is, um, it, he's the witness for the defense, really. And, and you know, it's interesting because I, I did mock trial back in high school. And one of, the, one of the things that is important in a court case is if, you're, if your defendant has issues you want to be the one to introduce them because you want to kind of, you know, paint the picture, give them a context. Yeah, and, and you want to admit it. You don't want it coming out like it's like you were hiding it. Yeah. You know, so so if if you're on trial for murder and you did see the you know the the victim that night, you want to bring it out. You know, but talk about how it was three hours earlier and what happened because if it comes out from the other side, it's going to be. So the the thing that you know, if because if it comes out from the prosecution, there's not going to be any context. You know, didn't you yeah. see them that night? Right. Like, well, yeah, and then they're going to move on. Like, hmm, okay, maybe he did. So Elihu is going to come in, and he he's going to call out he's going to call out Job's three you know in quotes friends, and he's also going to call out Job on some things, not for sin. You know, he's not going to come and go. No, he's lying. He's got sin, but he's going to call him out on on some of his attitude mm -hmm. and some of his, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's, it's Elihu gets praised at the end. We'll just say that when God comes in, he's like, yeah, you should have listened to Elihu. <laughs> <laughs> Elihu got it. <laughs> yeah. He's got it figured out. <laughs> so, so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. And, and you can almost hear the arrogance in that. It's like, well, He's not going to listen to us about the truth, so we just we're not going to cast our pearls before swine and 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 whatever he's he thinks he's got it. Then Elihu, the son of Barachel the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. Okay, so now we've got a younger man who's been biting his tongue this whole time. And he's not happy. Okay. And if the slides would cooperate. Okay, and when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. And Elihu, the son of Barachal the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak, and many years teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. So Elihu is younger. Yeah. And he's like, I now see an age isn't But he sat enough. there probably just listening to all right. that. He kept he thinking, they'll get to it. They'll get to it. He's like, it is not years. It is only the Spirit of God that gives truth because you have lived all these years and you know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he said it very politely. <laughs> it's an honor society. You know, he didn't, he didn't dog him. He's like, I was waiting, but... And he doesn't say, I have the wisdom. He says, it's the Spirit of God that gives wisdom. Right. Obviously, he's chosen me this time. <laughs> so, it is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me, let me also declare my opinion. 
Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention. And behold, there was none among you who refuted Job or who answered his words. Beware lest you say we have found wisdom. God may vanquish him, not a man. So, you know, don't go around saying that you've got all the wisdom because man might not be able to refute you, but God's not going to like that. He has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him with your speeches. They are dismayed. They answer no more. They have not a word to say. And shall I wait because they do not speak because they stand there and answer no more? I also will answer with my share. I also will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Well, I got a lot to say. Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. Which is an interesting reference because they talk about Yeshua with the new wineskins. You don't put new wine into old wineskins. So he's he's saying, I'm young and I've got, I, I can see clearly what's going on. I've got this wisdom. I must speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Wow. I'm going to give you the bare naked truth. Yeah, he's like, I, trust me, I am not a respecter of men. You know, I'm not afraid of you. I, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not here to attack you. I just need to tell you what I see. So he's going to start with Job. Hello, go. But now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart, and what my lips know they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I, too, was pinched off from a piece of clay. So we're both just men. I just got to tell you what I see. And I love his humility when he starts that, because the others were coming from such a place of arrogance. And I've seen it. I I was given a vision, you know. And he's like, look, I'm a piece of clay that was pinched off like everybody else. I just got to share what I see. He gave a big intro to before he even said anything. Right, right. He says, Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Surely you have spoken in my ears, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure without transgression. I am clean, and there is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. So do you you see how when he's he's summing it up here and he's saying, you're saying both of these things. Mm -hmm. You're saying there's no iniquity in you. But then you're saying that God obviously is holding something against you. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him saying he will answer none of you know, he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings. So God God speaks in two ways. You're either going to get it in the simple, peaceful first telling. Or, <laughs> or you're going to keep going your direction and he's kind of going to come in like thunder wow. and say, knock it off. Mm-hmm. So that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. So it's not coming in because, you know, because he has a right to. He's coming in to stop you from doing the destruction you are bent on doing. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. So, so think, about, think about this when you encounter the verses that talk about what keeps a man back from death and what keeps a man from the pit and what saves a man. You know, because and if you remember, I think it was Paul who says, um, or, no, maybe it was Peter, 
who says, if you see a brother in sin that does not lead to death, pray for him. You know, you can try to warn him, you can talk to him, but pray for him. If you see a friend or a brother engaging in sin that leads to death, jump in and save him from the pit. So people have all different interpretations on that. I will share with you mine, because a lot of people think, well, some sins are just little sins. You ignore those. And other sins, well, those are, those are big sins. But I really believe he's saying, if you're watching your brother in sin, because you can't go testify if you're just one person, pray for them. I mean, depending on your relationship or whether you feel like, like the context, that, you know, you've got that, that right moment, you might say something or you might kind of question them, you know, depending on the person. And you all know we've got different people in our lives. And some people, we have that relationship where we can go, you, you need to knock that off. You, you know better. And other people, we, we, so did you realize the Bible says this? Have you encountered that? Oh, you should look into that. You know, but, but when we don't know what to say, at the very least, we're supposed to pray. But if you are doing something that would literally lead to your death, either one of the big death penalty um, things. Hi, Sarah, I'm bringing you in. Hey. Um, if you've got someone who's, who's or, or what they're doing is going to potentially literally kill them or somebody else right there, you know, someone flies off in a rage because something happened to someone and they're running out the door to go kill the person who did it. You literally stop them. You don't take the time right then to go, I'm going to pray about how best to deal with it. No, you just, you go grab them, you hold them down, you pull them back. And so he's saying, you know, God's going God's gonna to work with you over time unless you refuse to listen. And then he's going to come in and he's going to do what it takes to keep you from the pit. And, and sometimes, you know, when you look through, and, and this, is, this is, I believe, the attitude that is supposed to be behind the death penalty issues in, in the, the Torah, is sometimes you may be a person who's gotten to a place where the safest thing for you is for you to not be alive anymore. <clears throat> because if you're alive, you are going to do damage to yourself and others. And, and when God takes out different communities, think of it with that context. Because the thing I was noticing when we were going through, I still need to go back, and I, a couple people that I've mentioned are like, I'm going to go look, because I, I, I don't know if that's right. But people are always upset that, you know, Old Testament God, he tells them to wipe out entire nations. But the thing I noticed as we were going through this last time was only when he tells them, don't even go to war with those people, and those people come out and attack them. Then he's like, okay, take them all out. Because they, they initiated, and they initiated, you know, and it was usually, not usually, but several times it was God saying, they are your cousins, you know, they are your family, and they come out against them anyways. Because if you'll come out against your family... Yeah. Something is, is fundamentally broken in you, and it's probably not good for you. You know, that's why it talks about the, the person who will curse their parent. You know, or, or, and, and especially I think the striking your parent was a death penalty thing. And if you strike your parent, because if you'll strike your parent, yeah. you'll strike anybody. Then I mean, there's nothing human holding you back yeah. from, from violence at that point. The way, you know, we were raised, I remember the first time, you know, when you start venturing out as a mm -hmm. teenager and I went to a friend of mine's house and saw the way that the parent talked to them and, and I was like shocked. Yeah. My mouth was open. I was like, who curses their parent? Yeah. What parent? My mother and father never cursed me. Right. And they never allowed me. And I knew. I grew up. Right. I knew not to curse them. Right. Well, and that's, that's part of the thing. Because when you, when you look at the, um, when you look at the instruction about the son you know, who's to be taken to the court, you're the glutton, the drunkard, the rebellious, he won't take correction. One of the reasons that was never done is because if you take your son and, and say there's, there's nothing useful in them, it's an indictment against you as a parent. <laughs> 
I mean, it's you basically going before the entire community and saying, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. We messed up. And, and there are things, and, you know, and what's interesting is there, there are things like when you've got someone dealing with mental health issues or whatever, and even then the parent heart when you, when, you know, I have, I have friends whose children are dealing with some severe issues yeah. and, and doing violent, you know, crimes and they're doing, but they're doing everything they can to stop them. Right. They're still trying to bring out the best in that child and, and they're taking the precautions and having them in the places where the, they and everybody else will be the safest they can be. They're not pretending there's not a problem, right. but the parenting that goes into it is about trying to get them help. Not taking them to the courts and saying, you know what, maybe you can do something. And, and that's, that's, I think that's the difference because, because it's not, that's not an indictment. That whole, and, and the way it was understood, it wasn't an indictment against the kid. Because if you brought your kid to do that, and the few times I, I think that parents did, the, the court would send the parent back with better parenting skills. They'd say, you need to go and do this, you know, and usually it would involve, you need to study Torah more because you don't know how to be a parent, <laughs> not, oh yeah, you are the best parent there is and this kid is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, yeah, we should stone him. So, so yes, at the point where the child is striking the parents, Torah's like, at that point, you've messed up. But there is a, you've messed up. I mean, it's, it's not... Like I said, I, there are mental health issues, there are sin issues, but there are, there are responses from parents that, that show the context of the relationship and show, you know, and, and even like, like dealing with drugs and stuff. I know parents who, who are feeling at that point of taking their kid to the court and going... I don't know what their problem is. And they may even be having to call the police on them because they're doing things and they don't know what else to do. But they want to understand. And, and they're looking, and when they find out, they're doing everything they can to get them help. And, and so not having all the information or not understanding the issue that's, that's at play is not the same thing. But when, you, when you're a parent who's cursing your kids... It should be no surprise that eventually they're going to curse you. Right. That's how it works. You know. So shocking when you've never heard that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I I was like, wow, I used to be this age because one of the first few jobs I had was at Sears, and this little boy came in with his mom and was trying to get some pants Uh for him. He's like, no, I don't want them. I don't. And then there was like. And, and, you know, what, what I always find interesting is if you watch people, what people do in public is what they think everybody else would be okay with. That's what they think is normal. Usually what goes on in the home is even more of that. Oh, wow. You know, so, so parents who, you know, are hauling off or screaming at kids or doing, you know. That, that's what they assume the rest of society is okay with. Mm-hmm. And behind closed doors, when they get angry, you got to wonder what's, what's going on. That's true, because I remember, I remember, uh, I was like, I don't know, just um, a while back and being with kids, like the family kids, and you, like, you say something, and then I, I kind of have that thought, like, was I supposed to say, like, is that acceptable? Like, yeah, you say those, that? I had those thoughts in my head. Like, am I displaying this kid? Like, yeah, like, oh, yeah. And no. so, like, when you say that, I'm like, that's totally true. How people do what they think is right. socially acceptable, right? Because you don't want nobody coming down on your head about right. how you. And when, and but when they do extreme things, you got to stop and go, "What the heck are you doing behind closed doors that you think this is okay in public?" Do you have any common sense in your head? <laughs> and, and so that's, but you know, that's, but this is how God doesn't jump in with the thunder. No. And he doesn't jump in with the thunder when you're, when you're new. I mean, if you're, 
some people who will say, oh, I've got, I got the thunder early. Well, I don't know. Were you coming out of gang life and drugs and was God trying to grab you and whip you out from the pits of death out of here? Maybe you heard that thunder. I don't know. But the average person going along with their life, God does not encounter them with the thunder. Right. You know, I mean, Paul, I'd say that was a thunder that moment. Thunder. Paul, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Right. He should have seen what was going on. And what was he off? He was off to kill Christians. So he got some thunder. Right. And what was his thunder? His thunder wasn't, you know, getting robbed on a secret path. It was God coming face to face with him and him being blinded by the glory of the Lord. And God confronting him and reasoning together with him. Why are you killing me? Oh, why persecute you? Yeah. Why, you know, and not my people. Why are you killing me? Right. Do you not recognize me? Because what you do to the least of them, you do unto the right. least. Right, right. And so, so God's thunder isn't even, you know, don't, it, it, don't look at it as a smackdown. It's, it's a grabbing back from the pit. I mean, when your kid's running towards a fire, you grab them, you scream, and you grab them, and you pull them back, and you do whatever it's going to take to keep them. But you shouldn't do that when they're, you know, running towards a toy you don't want them to have. <laughs> you know, there's, 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 there's levels, there's, there's issues, there's things that are happening, there's context. And, and he's even saying, God speaks to people in dreams and visions and, and, and words and understanding and experiences, and we learn. But if you're running towards the pit, then he's going to grab you back. He says, man is also rebuked, with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out. Wow, he's really skinny. Yeah. And, and usually his appetites, you know, the appetite, the, and, and that's an extreme picture of it, but really if you look at what, the rabbinic thought on the, the prohibitions in Torah, it's, it's supposed to be to discipline us. And when, when we run after something with no discipline, then usually we suffer in that area as, as we're... And because if you think about it, if you live for food, just as, as the example, because that's what he's saying, if you live for food, you could feel like you're suffering by being in a situation that requires you to eat a simple diet. It can feel painful. It'll feel like you're wasting away. It'll feel like you're dying. It'll feel like your taste buds are suffering. But why, why do we despise sustaining food simply because it's not tantalizing food? You know, because if we despise it, then that shows, and again, I said, dietary restrictions and, and, you know, there are certain special needs that, that certain flavors or certain textures, they, they can't eat. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the average person living out there who is going to despise a bowl of beans and rice because it's not a giant steak, mm -hmm. you know. Versus the people who are living on being grateful for the days when they have the beans and rice, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's, it's a different attitude. So the one is grateful for the little and the other despises the lot just because it's not the tasty. And, and those are the areas, so those are the areas we end up getting disciplined in. And you know, like when she was asking a couple of weeks ago, you know, why does God just get rid of Satan? Because he reveals our struggles. Because we something in us should click when we are despising the the sustaining food because it's not that tasty thing we want. And I'll you know, I'll admit it's an area of struggle I have. If something doesn't taste yummy, now and I'll go to great lengths to season and make things taste yummy. I like yummy food. And and boring food, I'm like, why am I why am I eating this? You, you, it's funny but I'll put stuff on my beans and rice to make it yeah, taste good. I don't despise the beans and rice. <laughs> See, 
it's funny because you talk about food, and all of a sudden my stomach went. Ugh. I know. It's like, well, I am hungry, but it is. That's what I'm. I went. Wait, I am hungry. I want some food. Shoot. Why are we talking about food? You know, but those are the areas we need to be disciplined in. I don't believe that that STDs and AIDS and such are punishments for people for being promiscuous. Yet, at the same time, being promiscuous is generally how you get them. So when it happens, not only should you not say, oh, God's obviously punishing you, but you shouldn't be surprised that it happens. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's the, you know, when you're not disciplined in that area, you are inviting all of the things that a lack of discipline in that area brings. So, so it's, you know, so this is talking about take, you know, an extreme, the person who, you know, the person who's refusing the discipline in the early stages, you know, it's, it's, and yet at the same time, you can feel like you're suffering this much with just a little loss. So he says, deliver him. Oh, and to declare man, what did to do? His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. Okay, so right there, these are the things that are echoing into the Gospels and to Paul's, you know, writings about how, you know, we love him because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, he redeemed us. We were headed for the pit, and he came and said, this is grace to you. This is a free gift. And we go, we respond with, Thank you. Okay. Um, one, of the, one of the challenges, and, and I read the, back when I was, um, gosh, I must have been in my early 20s when I first read the book. But one of the shifts, and we've talked a lot about the shifts in evangelism and how to share gospel with people and how mm-hmm. it's changed from like the 50s to today. And one of the things, this was a, uh, called The Generation Alone, and it was talking about Generation X. And, and this is one of the books that inspired me and changed a lot of my, like it, it affected a lot of my focus because I am Gen X. And, and it really resonated with me, the things that it was saying. And the things that didn't personally apply to me, I saw applying to so many of the people around me that, that I saw that like, it was just generally really accurate. And it was talking about how many from my generation grew up as latchkey kids and divorce and no family and, and how we had to, we needed to redefine family to be the people that you choose to have in your life, which is really the direction that our, that we've gone as a society talking about, you know, there, there's your, there's your birth family or biological family, the family gave you life. You may or may not be safe to have a relationship with them. They may or may not want to have a relationship with you. They may or may not be close to you. You know, you may be living and working in it or going to school or whatever in a very different place and not have them there, even if they would be good. But you can't live in, it's not good for a man to live alone, you know. And so, and, and the idea of don't despise the community of believers, you know, fellowship with them, getting together. And, and so it was talking, it actually was one of the first home church kind of books that I read. And it was, but it was talking about how the kingdom and what Yeshua offers us is the opportunity to join his family and that we can, we can meet as family and live as family and care for each other as family and that that was an emphasis that was desperately needed by Gen Xers and that was what they were responding to. The other thing it challenged was it says up to that point, the, the traditional method of evangelism that had come about was to go and confront someone with how sinful they were and make sure they knew that without God they were going to hell, so that then you could tell them about God. And they said the problem here is Gen Xers know how sinful they are. They're very aware that, that you know, because they we were raised in the 70s with the whole the whole boomer attitude of 
you know, we can, we've got the answers. We can find the answers. We can make the money answers. We can go find ourselves and find the answers. We've got the answers. And the kids from that generation went, well, I don't see your answers as actually working. And if I have to have the answer, I'm in trouble. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. So when you confront a Gen Xer with how sinful they are, their response is not guilt that motivates change. It's shame. It's, yeah, I know. You're right. And they walk away. And, and yet without that, that step, if you, if you share God loves you, then that thing in their heart that knows how far from God they are responds to that and goes, really? You know, this is where a lot of the servant evangelism came in. You know, I was hearing a story one time about people who went down to like a, some death metal concert or something and where the people were waiting in line for hours out in the heat and they just set up a little table and they were handing out free water. And, and a lot of people were like, you know, what, what do you want? What's the catch? And they we're just doing this because we love you. And they said, young men were weeping because that was the first time anyone had ever told them they loved them. And people were getting, you know, accepting the Lord because they didn't know. They literally didn't know that there was love of that capacity available to them. Because they had never experienced anything remotely close to it. And, and, you know, people are like, why do you love me? You don't even love me. I'm like, well, Jesus loves you and, right. and we love him. And so he says that, that we're supposed to love you. And so we do, you know, you, you are made in his image. And they were speaking life to people who had only heard death up yeah. to that point. That's what people respond to. People don't respond to death. No. People know they're, people know, we know we deserve death. We respond to life and the offer of life to pull us, you know, when, when he says there's an, there's an answer, there's a, there's a potential help for you, he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. That's the gospel. That's the testimony. The testimony isn't, God gave me this, but I'm not sure if you're worthy of it. The testimony is, oh my gosh, I did not deserve this. And he gave it to me anyway. And I got to tell you, you know, what happens when you get the best gift you've ever, you didn't want to tell it, you Facebook that sucker. Look at me holding my gift. Woohoo! They love me. And you tell people. You don't. Does anybody love you enough to give you a gift? Oh, yeah, look what I got. Yeah. You know, it's like I got this gift. Yes. What did you get? Did you get a wonderful gift? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so he, it says, behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man. That'll keep pulling you back from the pit. It's to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. Pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Be silent and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent and I will teach you wisdom. So now Elihu's going to assert God's majesty. And I love, because the big point of what he's saying is, and, and Job, you know, Job kept saying, talking about God as judge. And he's saying, I'm righteous. I've done nothing wrong. I know I've done nothing wrong. I don't understand why God is judging me. Right. And Elihu's response to him very gently and lovingly was, God saves people. God moves and saves you. God moves and redeems you. God moves and, and takes you from the pit. And, and this is going back to our Zechariah passage. 
act with, God wants you to act with swift judgment, show mercy. Yeah. God's swift judgment is mercy. So he said, if God was judging you, he would be fixing this. He'd be showing you what to do to get out. This isn't God's judgment, in other words. Yeah. He says, then Elihu answered and said, hear my word, you wise men, and give ear to me, you who know. And he's, and he's saying, you're wise, you understand. When you hear this, it, you, it will resonate with you. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am in the right, and God has taken away my right. In spite of my right, I am counted a liar. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job who drinks up scoffing like water? Who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. Therefore, hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. For according to the work of a man he will repay him, and according to his ways he will make it befall him. Of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth, and who laid on him the whole world? If he should set his heart to it, and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn who, him who is righteous and mighty? Who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man? Who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands? In a moment they die. At midnight the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. For his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. By the way, not Santa. It's, it's God who does that. <laughs> there is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. Which, you know, in Jonah, when it talks about how he, he went on the ship to hide from the face of God. He wanted to go far yeah. away to hide. Where are you going to hide yeah, from the face of God? It's like, I'm sorry. God's face is there, too. Yeah. For God has no need to consider a man further, that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. The, God doesn't even, the man doesn't even need to go before God for judgment. God doesn't need to hear the testimony. God doesn't need to, to yeah, he knows everything you've done. So that's why he rebuked Job, because he's like, I'll go before God. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's like, God doesn't need to hear you. Nope. You don't need to plead your case to him. Says, thus knowing their works, he overturns them in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in a place for all to see, because they turned aside from following him and had no regard for any of his ways. So is he saying that Job turned aside? Or? Well, what more what he's saying is, you know, and because I, I had said before, Job, Job hadn't sinned, but Job was expressing his own lack of understanding. And it's not that that lack of understanding is a sin, but where you have a lack of understanding, God wants to bring you understanding. Right. And so, pre this experience, Job did amazing things for God that we might never have heard of. Post this experience of Job, he did even more amazing things. And, which is why, you know, do consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because, you know, the discipline grows your understanding and your understanding grows your wisdom and your wisdom affects your actions and you change by going through discipline. Job is being disciplined. He's not being punished. He didn't do anything 
worthy of punishment. And as Elihu is pointing out, when you deserve punishment, God pulls you back from it. But at the same time, what makes you think you need to even go before God and plead your case? Yeah. What do you mean God hasn't answered? And? You know? <laughs> 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 he says, he says, um, he says, he, when, he, when he is quiet, oh, it said, so they caused the cry of the poor to come to him, and he heard the cry of the afflicted. When he is quiet, who can condemn? When he hides his face, who can behold him? Whether it be a nation or a man, that a godless man should not reign, that he should not ensnare the people. For has anyone said to God, I have borne punishment, I will not offend anymore. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Who says that to God? Because God's not, you know, that, that's not how it teaches. It says, will he then make repayment to suit you because you reject it? For you must choose and not I, therefore declare what you know. Men of understanding will say to me, and the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge, his words are without insight. Would that Job were tried to the end because he answers like wicked men, for he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. So he's saying, this is how you're coming across. This is what these wise men are responding to. They're responding to the fact that you're answering like a wicked man while declaring your innocence. Mm -hmm. I tell my kid, you know, and when you walk in a room and you go, who left this here? And 90% of the responses you get are, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't leave it. I didn't ask who didn't leave this here. And my asking who left this here was not an accusation against everyone in the room that you need to defend yourself against. And in fact, when you defend yourself, you look guilty. Say, you declare your innocence like a wicked man. If you're innocent, you don't need to defend yourself. Did you need me to take her out? She does. She's preaching. She she I don't know what she So did. now Elihu is going to condemn Job. She, she doesn't do make this much noise. Sometimes she does. Usually she's talking along with me. And Elihu answered and said, Do you think this to be just? Do you say it is my right before God that you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your friends with you. Look at the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? You know, so Job is saying, I may as well have sinned. I'm being treated like I sinned. This is, the, this is the end for sinners, and look at me. I did all those good things, and here I am suffering. And he's like, really? Because it wouldn't affect God if you sinned. It'd affect you, but not God. He still stays God. Doesn't change him. If you are righteous, what do you give to him? You're, if you're righteous, he, it also does not prosper God. He's not up there going, oh, I'm so benefiting from that righteousness. <laughs> Be a little more righteous. I like that. It feeds my ego. You know, no. He says, so if you're righteous, if you're unrighteous, if you're righteous, what, what is it to God? Yeah. It doesn't change him. Right. Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness command, concerns a man like yourself and your righteousness a son of man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none says, where is God my maker who gives song in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? You know, they cry out to God when they're suffering. But where is God? I want to learn more. I want to be wiser. Teach me to be wise before you're pulling me back from the pit. 
Because what is it? We talked about this last week. Every time you tell somebody you're praying for wisdom, they're like, oh, don't do that. We're praying for patience. Oh, don't do that. We're going to yeah, learn it. it. It's like, why? Why would I not ask God to teach me before I have to learn the hard way? That's right. Let my heart, you know, do not despise discipline. That's, that's, that's you know, Hebrews, what's, you know, it, it's hard at the, t- at the time. I'd rather experience the discipline of learning than the suffering and the punishment of not knowing. And that's what the, all those verses about discipline, it's not talking about punishment. It's not, even when we translate it that way. And even as we went through the prophets, we saw this over and over. When God says, I am disciplining you, I am putting you through this so you understand. I am letting you, and, and it was always, I am letting you walk the path you're insisting on walking so that you will learn the lessons you don't want to learn any other way. If this is how you need to learn it, go ahead. Yeah. It wasn't like God took people who were on the right path and went, you misstepped, get on that path, go to destruction, I'm done with you. It's God consistently saying, get off that path. Hey, look, light on my path. Look, over here. You can see where you're walking. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, ooh, pit, pit. Come over here. Please come over here. My path is over here. Here's what's at the end of my path. Mm-hmm. And then getting to that point where he says, you insist on this path, I'm not going to stop you. Right. There are pits ahead. If you want to know where they are, look to me. If you find yourself in one, cry out to me and I'll come get you. When you find yourself in one, cry out to me and I will come redeem you. But if you want to be in the pit, if that's the only time you'll cry out to me. You know, that's why, you know, in in AA and stuff, and we had talked about that last week, they talk about hitting your rock bottom. Your rock bottom is hopefully not the bottom of your grave. Hopefully your rock bottom is some ledge along the way where you realize, I don't want to go any lower than this. Mm-hmm. So he says, they, there they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you are waiting for him. So he's saying, you know, when people are, are, are crying out to God insincerely, and that's not saying he won't, you know, that it's not saying that he, he ignores them, because I've heard some people take this and say, God doesn't hear the prayers of people who aren't saved. No, because that first cry out to him <laughs> was from an, you know, <laughs> where you were. But what it's saying is, you know, God, God's not making deals with people. You know, it's like, well, if you do this for me, all the, you know, or, or, or the negotiations or the, the save me so that I can get even. You know, God, God's not being, he's not being swayed by evil people calling out to him so they can continue being evil. <laughs> he said, so how, and you're sitting here going, I'm waiting for my answer. I'm righteous. I get an answer. It's like, What? And now because his anger does not punish and he does not take much note of transgression, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. So he's like, because God won't punish you or come and answer to you, you keep talking this emptiness. What does any of the things you've said matter at this moment. Okay, you did righteous with what God gave you. And? Okay, you're suffering now. And? So because you were were being blessed at this time, obviously God was approving of you. And because you're suffering now, Clearly, God doesn't approve of you, which means you don't know what you did wrong, which means you're demanding an answer. For, he's like, what? You're not suffering 
because God's punishing you. You're just suffering. Shut up. You know. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Right. And he multiplies. And he's saying, your empty talk is not getting you anywhere. You're multiplying words without knowledge. You're just talking. Yep. And we're on the last slide here. We're perfectly on time. Here we are. Do, do, do. Come on, if this thing would work. Look on there. Um, I have to get there by 12.15. It won't go to it. Isn't that something? Hold on. Do, do, do. How do I? Wait, order. Oh, there it Did it go? What? No, but it skipped, it skipped oh, this first. It skipped this one. Oh, there we go. Now I'll go back to it. When technology works, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it says, there they cry out, but he does not answer. Oh, no, I did that one. Yeah, you want to get in. One more paragraph, right? One more oh, no, no. Apparently, I was on that one. Oh, Maybe okay. that's the problem. Oh. Okay, so we're done then. So we'll come back, and Elihu keeps talking. So right now, he's telling Job, you know, stop defending yourself. Yeah, he talks for a couple chapters, maybe. Yeah, a few, several chapters. Yeah, he's been talking for, for four chapters now, wow. and he's got several more. Whoa. Because he goes to eat, he calls out each other. Okay. He calls them all out. Each Yeah. Yeah, so he's starting with Job. Because, you know, and he's saying, you don't, you know, you wonder why they're telling you you're answering like a wicked man. When you keep, defend, you keep declaring your innocence, it makes people think you're guilty. Yeah. How many people in prison say that? Yeah, oh, they're all saying that. Yeah, yeah. The ones who not and the ones who are. Right. And, and yet, when you are innocent, you don't. You know, the, the, some of the stuff I went through last year, the early last year, as hard as it was, I had to just bite my tongue. I had to not engage. And then in, in, 10 years ago, I would have been out there engaging. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and, and I've been through the defending yourself. I've been through the learning that sometimes it doesn't change anything, and sometimes it makes things worse. And right. sometimes... Your words are twisted and used against you. And sometimes, um, you know, and, and this time God just said, I am your defender. Be quiet. All right. So when people came to me, I would talk to them. You know, if they asked me a question, I would share with them. And I had a few people who, you know, who I was safe to go and I was safe to go invent to. Not Job's friends, but actual friends who knew what was going on. And 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 it was more of a I just can't. Sometimes it was I'm I'm laughing, except this is really happening. Like what what's being said is so ludicrous. I don't even know how are people even believing this. You know, it. it but at the same time, just going. If they are believing this, then I got to believe that there's powers at play here that are way beyond anything that I actually said or did, and defending myself will not matter. You know, if someone doesn't know me by now, if they don't know my character enough that they're, this is, you know, this, then this thought was already in them, and there's nothing for me to say. And, and a couple times I even told people, if I did the things that I'm being accused of, they, they should have been away from me earlier. Yeah. Why did they stay? If, I, if that's me, they should be gone. Yeah. You know, I would have left someone acting that, the way that they're saying. Right. So it's, but it's a very different, it's I'm not saying it's easy. It's very hard. Job would have still been sitting in a trash heap, scraping his sores. And, and what's sad is that it started with him thinking he was safe to, ex to vent, to express his pain, that he, he was among friends, and, and that, that because all of this could be diffused way back at the beginning, if his friends had gone, we don't know why you're suffering, but this is hard. We're just going to sit here with you, you know, if you, if you need to keep venting. We love you. We're sure God knows what he's doing. We don't. And, and when you're dealing with people in your life 
and you have and they're suffering or they're going through things and you have that response it leads to a very different situation than than when i mean if we had this and all it was was his friends railing against him and then it talked about how he was suffering silently we'd be going they're bullies what the heck why are they beating up on this dude while he's down but ellie who's right his continued defense you know so there's the answer sarah why is it so long because joe keeps defending himself (laughs) joe keeps keeps saying no you're wrong no it's this yeah yeah so I, I want to pray, um, I want to pray real quick and then bless and, and then okay. we got to take off. But Laura had, she, she didn't make it because her friend's um, son that we've prayed for, he, he was, died in a car accident last night. And so she's with him. She asked if we could pray for him and for them, uh, you know, and Laura's son. yeah, the oldest son that they were trying to get into the, the treatment facility and then he didn't go and he died in a car accident last oh. night. So, um, yeah, so, so I want to pray and I want to, you know, I know we've all got things and I, and I I just, I want to encourage each of us this week. Let's, let's really think intentionally in each situation. Is this a time when I should be silent? Because sometimes I think we say, I know I do. Sometimes I spout off and I should have just bit through my tongue if I had to. Um, I know, I know, yeah, but it's like I've been, I've been really trying to be intentional and conscious and aware of it, and it's hard. It's interesting that we're talking about this because I was just thinking that, like, for the past couple of days, just really thinking about that. When do I speak? When do I not speak? And and there are times to speak. There really are. But we need to be bringing wisdom to the situation. And, and solutions and resolution. I mean, and pointing out problems for the purpose of brainstorming, not just complaining. Because yeah. you know, a lot of times in our society, people go, oh, you're always so negative. You're pointing out the problems. Well, I, I'm trying to bring them out so we can discuss them. I didn't know everybody else wanted to have the problems. You know, that's what I was when I was younger. It's like, oh, oh, you want to keep that problem. Okay. I, I, now I know. <laughs> you know, and it's like I, I like, I'm one who wants to expose problems so they can be fixed. I consider them things holding us back. And, and yet I've had to learn through trial and error over the years that not everybody feels that way and not everybody wants to hear. And very often my thought about what's wrong is limited by my knowledge. And my knowledge, if it's not complete about a situation. Now I love the people in my life who, who, who understand that if, I, if I'm given more information, then I will understand the situation. And, th- and that that's really what I'm seeking. I really, I want to understand why we're doing it this way because I can see some potentially better ways. But if there's a reason we're doing it this way, I'll get behind doing it this way. But I, I, want, to, I want to understand it. I have to learn the hard way. I want to understand, oh, we can't do it that way. Oh. So I appreciate the people in my life who do that, but I've had to learn who those people are. And, and there are many times where I'm just silent. And sometimes people have said to me later, why didn't you say something? I, I would have listened. And, I, and I'm like, well, would you have? <laughs> I don't know. Because I've said stuff in the past and, and people have gotten upset. So now, yeah. unless I really feel like it's really the right time, yeah, you know I, I choose silence. You know, it started out, especially with the prophetic gifting, and I, I know I've shown this before, but it started out, with people telling me, oh, prophecy means you got to go tell everybody everything. And, and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And then it was, God, I'll tell them unless you tell me not to. But if you tell me not to, I won't. And then I got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to pray. If you want me to say something, let me know. Otherwise, I'm not. And so I'll stay silent. And sometimes other people will even say, you know, well, if you talk to them, go and tell them. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't think they're ready. Right. And sometimes if you go before they're ready, not only can they not hear you, but then you become someone who in their mind is unsafe to listen to when they are ready. Yeah. So, so I've just, I've very much learned that there's, it's a, so much more complicated than just seeing clearly and speaking the truth. <laughs> it's, yeah. the, you know, that's, it's the reception on the other end and the timing and have they learned everything they need to learn? Cause that's a problem one of the other problems Job's friends brought in. 
if there were lessons Job could have been learning, they made it the hardest way. Yeah. They made the situation, they made it worse yeah. by condemning him. Because he also wasn't worthy of being condemned. Right. And he was righteous. He was right. He didn't do anything. God was bragging on him. So, and that's, you know, that's why we said when, when we go in, let's not be Job's friends in a situation. Even if we think we see clearly. Even if we think we understand. Even if we've been through something and we know the lesson. And, well, that's a different something. That was our something. And, and like God told me when I, you know, 20 years ago, when 18 years ago, when I was, we had shared something and this one was like, oh, you all are judgmental. And I was starting to explain, well, no, I'm just, I don't want you to have to, to learn. I, I suffered this way and I'm trying to prevent it for you and God over my shoulder. You're the only one who gets to learn the hard way. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, go ahead, do your thing. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. I guess uh, there we go. I'm in my place. I mean, somebody kind of Job friended me a couple days ago, and I just was like, I, I was. And you saw it, though. You caught it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting better at yeah. seeing it, but I just was like, well, I, I wanted to know what the situation was that they were judging me so harshly, and then, but, you know, they were being so kind. They were being kind of wrong. I don't know, they weren't giving me... They're usually that. vague. It's, there's usually it was, not any real information. It was really vague. And so I was just was like... But there's always know. people who agree with them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not just me. It's like, first of all, it's like, what was it? What's your interpretation of it? What's your level of understanding with it? Like, right. You right. know, because you can easily make somebody very mad by saying the most simplest thing. Yeah. Usually, I have found... Probably ninety percent of the time, at least in my life, those those conversations are someone taking offense on behalf of someone else and coming to me. And and years ago, I stopped engaging in those conversations because I very very much learned I cannot work anything out with this person because I didn't wrong this person. This person thinks I wronged someone else. I can't make amends to them for that. I can't resolve it. They can't forgive me on behalf of the other person. There is nothing I can work out with them. And they're coming to me. Their only offense against me is that they're upset I said something to somebody else. And then somebody else hasn't said anything to you. Right. And, and so what I, what I started doing was saying, thank you for making me aware of how you how you took that I will go and talk to the other person and find out how they feel right. and work it out with them but I have nothing to discuss with you because right. they would be demanding an apology from me and I'm like I can't apologize to you right. I didn't wrong you you were not part of that you witnessed it but it had nothing to do with you but I will go because you're telling me how you heard me and see if that person heard me that way also, and I will work it out with them. You know, so thank you. But I can't make amends to you when it was you. You're not even part of it. And half the time I'd go to the other person and they'd go, well, you know, I took it that way, but I, I, didn't, I figured you didn't mean it that way, and, and so I, I know you well enough to know that that wouldn't be where you're coming from. And so then, you know, we'd have a chance to talk, and you, half the time they go, oh, I know, I know you, I didn't take it that way at all. And the handful of times they would go, yeah, I was really upset, you know, and I, oh, I'm very sorry. Let me go fix that. Let me go change my words, or let me go apologize publicly because, because this happened publicly. Yeah. But I can't work that out with somebody else, they, you know, especially when they're telling me, I'm sure she said, and I'm like, well, did, did they talk to you? You know, are, can you tell them to come talk to me? I'd love to talk to them. I'll go ask them. Right. Yeah. You know, so usually, that's usually why it's so vague. And, 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 I, and then they don't want to gossip by telling you who the other people are. It's just such a mess. I'm just like, oh, okay, you're upset about something, whatever. You know, you'll get over it or you won't. But... Doing something on Sunday or not? Yeah, Sunday something? night. Okay. Sunday night. Um, what did I say? Six o'clock or six thirty? I think six o'clock. I said. Six o'clock. Yeah. Well, because donuts. Some other people will be there from the homeschool group. It'll be nice. Oh, okay. 
But but let's pray real quick. And then, Lord, we just ask you to be with Laura and, and her family and the friends that they're with. And I just pray, Lord, that you would comfort them and give them peace in the midst of this grief and that you would, you know, we know that he has been suffering in, in lots of ways and, and that there's probably a kind of a bittersweetness around this that, that he's finally at peace, Lord. And I pray that there would be no guilt for those feeling that, that they, they would not be hard on themselves for not suffering more but that, that their actual suffering and their grief, Lord, you would give them hope to the hopeless and joy in their sadness, that they would see you and your hand at work in the midst of this, and that, that you would grow relationships closer and make yourself more known to them, draw them closer to you. Let other people see this and, and be ministered to, those who need you to be brought to you and those who, who know you but are struggling themselves to be encouraged. I pray, Lord, that as we go out from this day and this study, that you would show each of us when to speak and when to be silent, and that we would, we would seek to be silent more than we speak. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would be with, with my children today as they dance. Let them give glory to you. And I pray as we go out into this week and as we continue through this holiday season, that you would, would just be that you would be the focus of our hearts and our minds at this season and at all seasons and that we would do all we do to glorify you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Mm-hmm.